Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado. And now would be a good time to start planning a trip here to experience our wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or maybe some scrambling with a pizza box out on our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, our guest this week is Zoe Rome, who is a runner and climber and reader and writer and host of the DNF podcast. And Zoe and I talk about all of this and more, including her interest in continuing to deepen and enrich running culture. And you will get to hear exactly what she means by that in this conversation, in addition to also learning about the very specific way to win Zoe's heart, which by the time you're finished with this episode, you very well might want to do because Zoe is pretty great. This is a really fun conversation with a very sharp and thoughtful person who has some big plans for the running community and culture. Now, before we get started, I want to mention that today's episode is presented by Survivor and their new Survivor Endurance phone case for the new iPhone 12. And I am sure that many of you, like me, run with one of these little supercomputer phone thingies that we all carry around. And especially if you have pulled the trigger on a new iPhone 12, you should probably protect that thing. And you can see the Survivor Endurance case and read more about my own experience using it on the Blister website. And we'll include links to that and to the Survivor Endurance product page over at verizon.com. So check it out and then protect that shiny new supercomputer slash podcast player of yours. And now let's go ahead and get to my conversation with the former second string outside hitter, Zoe Rome. Well, Zoe, how are you today and where are you today? Hey, uh, so great. I'm over here in Carbondale, Colorado. And how are things in Carbondale? They're good. It's actually like the first truly cold day of December. It's been very warm and very dry, which is not great for skiing, but super great for running. So, you know, win some, lose some. Okay. Now, you just mentioned skiing. You also have some climbing in your background. You're also currently running. You're also quite a good writer. And you're also a podcast host, it turns out. And so I kind of want to talk about all of these things and really how you sort of got to all of these things. So I want to kind of start at the beginning, where you grew up and what were you into as a kid? So I grew up in uh, Northwest Arkansas, outside of a, uh, of a town called Fayetteville, where the university is. Both my parents are on the faculty there. So I'm a child of professors, uh -huh. which probably explains 90% of my personality and uh, career aspirations. And, um, and your glasses. <laughs> and my glasses, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't wear my tweed blazer, but I could have. Okay. Um, yeah, I grew up like on an apple orchard outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, and I was always outside a lot as a kid, but I was not athletic even at all. Hmm. Like hated sports, 
you know, I, I didn't, I tried out for the high school cross country team and didn't make it. <laughs> um, so I played volleyball instead. Cause like the coach was like, well, you're pretty good at jumping. You could try a jumping sport. Uh, so I did like, I did a little bit of high jump and volleyball cause I was good at moving upwards, <laughs> but not forwards. And I was just really into reading. I read so, so much as a kid, like couldn't read enough. Like, like I would be, I would get in trouble at school for reading under the desk. And when like my parents would ground me, they would just put tape over my bookshelf. So I couldn't get my books out. Like that would be, cause they were like, you just have to do your homework. Or like, you have to clean your room, stop reading. Um, so I was just like a really, really bookish kid, which, you know, as a, like the only job that I could imagine as a kid that was obsessed with reading books was like well obviously i'm just going to be a writer of like young adult fiction huh. because that is the only type of writing that exists and it is amazing and yeah. that is what i'm going to do um but like from my like earliest conceptions of like you need to have a job when you're an adult i always wanted to be a writer like at, like for as long as i can remember like first grade they would be like what do you want to do and i was like definitely going to be an author huh. or like in junior high I remember like when I did go through a sportier phase wanting to be like a sports journalist because a lot of the writing I was reading at the time was about sports and even though I didn't love sports I was like that's really cool writing and so like very weirdly I happened to be doing exactly what I always thought I would be doing and that's writing and particularly about sports trying to make interesting writing about sports in the outdoor world I love this so far this is great What do your parents teach? Are, are they teachers or on the administration side? So um, they used to, but they're not anymore. My dad, so he, my mom is the dean of students. So like, good luck getting away with anything on campus when your mom is in charge. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my dad is now dean of the graduate school, but at the time he, like growing up, he was a professor of sustainable agriculture. So like, I grew up on like a working kind of like research farm and was always very like, particularly in apples. So like what he does is he uses plant genetics to try to figure out how we can all have more sustainable plant production, particularly with apples, peaches, berries. So like, I've always been a big fan of fruit and like always been a huge fan of sustainable agriculture. I like fruit and reading that that could go on your, your bio. Most of what I did growing up was like read. And then I worked Saturdays at the farm or at the farmer's market. So like, when I was little, they would like throw me up in the trees to go prune because I was like light enough. They'd just like hand me shears and they'd be like, well, you know, cut down those branches, like get up in there <laughs> uh, with these like sharp objects. So I always loved being outside and loved climbing trees, but I was not like super, super sporty. But I know a lot about fruit. <laughs> That's amazing. Fruit and books. <laughs> fruit and books. Now, you got cut from your cross country team? Yeah. Yep, wasn't wasn't fast enough. And the uh, tryouts were just running two miles. <laughs> did you complete the two miles? Or did, were you like... Um, I did, uh, yeah. Okay. And I was like, I kind of walked away being like, is it just me or did I crush that? And I must not have because I didn't I didn't make the team. But like the coach, you know, because like particularly at the high school level, they were looking for like a sport home for everyone. So they were like, the volleyball team needs some tall gals. <laughs> like, can you jump? You look like you can jump. And so, yeah, then I ended up playing volleyball pretty poorly for a couple of years. I was an outside hitter. So, like, the amount of damage I could incur was limited. But I, I did get pretty good at jumping and, like, hitting the ball. I mean, outside hitter is kind of a cool position, though. I mean, 
I guess you can be hidden, but you can also you can also inflict a lot of damage. Yeah, I mean, and that was that that part's super fun. Like, there's nothing cooler than hitting the ball super hard. Yeah, um, that is something I definitely miss. Like, it was like the first glimpse I ever had as like a young person of like, oh, being an athlete is like very cool and makes you feel powerful in yeah. ways. But it was also nice because like I didn't ever have to serve. I like the only the most of the defense I played was like blocking. So you just jump and try to be in the way. Like, it's not like a lot of skill. It's just like what I was good at at that time in my athletic career was like, be a present body and like get in the way. Like that was my always, always my skill. Be in the way. Amazing. How tall are you? I'm five, seven. So I'm not like, you're not, you're not a giant. Yeah. I'm not a giant, but I did have the highest jump on the team. And you were good at getting in the way. Good at getting in the way. Okay. This is also great. I'm, we're going to kind of fast forward, though, since we do have kind of a lot to talk about. So we're going to zoom through high school. I take it you end up going to college because that's what kids of mm-hmm. university yep. people do. Where do you go yep. to school and what are you into at the time? Like, what are you going to school to study or or what do yeah. you actually care about as you're entering college? So I went to the University of Arkansas where, like I mentioned, my parents are both on the faculty. Actually, so now I have my family is so closely tied to that university. My grandpa taught there. My parents taught there. And now my younger sister is on the faculty um, teaching art history. So wow. that's fun. Very professorial family. I originally went in to study English literature and I was really interested in religious literature was my specialty. Like I grew up Lutheran and was always like a very spiritual person and went in wanting to like study Christian apologetics. And like I had been obsessed with C.S. Lewis as a kid and like I was super into like romantic poetry. So like William Blake was and remains one of my favorite poets. But I kind of had the very stereotypical moment that a lot of people probably do in college when they're like, they read T.S. Eliot and they realize like everything I believed in is a lie. Um, (laughs) And so I got less interested in like religious literature and a lot more interested in ecological literature. So I moved from like my specialty had been like religious writing and like actually so some of my like my specific area of interest was I studied Allen Ginsberg and spiritual synch- syncretism, which is like how he would use his poetry to combine elements of different religions. So like if you look at Allen Ginsberg's poetry, you see really interesting meshings of like both Jewish literary tradition and Eastern literary tradition. So like you'll have like a, a, like the Sunflower Sutra, which is an Eastern poetic tradition, or you'll have Kaddish, which is like Jewish tradition but you'll see them like in the same collection and like they'll speak to each other in really interesting ways and so like I was really interested in how poets just like represent spirituality through their writing. I eventually became more interested in eco-poetics which is how poets engage with ecology and landscapes through writing which like I think makes a lot more sense given where I am now so I was really into like Edward Abbey and Mary Austin and like you know, William Wordsworth and like looking at how writers inspire sympathy with landscapes through writing. Like my thesis ended up being on how the literature of deserts upends Adam Smith's theory of sympathy, which like is a very kind of like human-centered version of sympathy. And so I was just really interested in how like deserts as a specifically American landscape exist in American literature and how the way we write about place and about landscapes and about ecosystems can connect us to them. But like I was looking at it through literature and then that inspired me to pursue 
a master's degree in environmental journalism. Cause I was like, okay, I kind of want to put this into practice. Like I love poetry. I love ecology. Eco poetics is awesome. But I do realize that like at some point I'll probably have to make money and like be able to actually like, instead of just study writing, I want to write myself also. Like I want to be a writer. And so pursuing environmental journalism felt like the next logical step instead of literary theory. I wanted to put into practice like things I had seen in writing and also get a little more education around the environmental science side of things. Did you continue your master's work at University of Arkansas? No, I uh, went to CU Boulder, actually. Like during college, I worked as a backpacking guide in New Mexico and fell in love with the Rocky Mountains was like, I have to move to the West. Like, and also my, like my undergraduate thesis focused on the American West. So like I would go to Moab and like write about Moab and like go to these places that Edward Abbey was talking about or that like Mary Austin was talking about. And I was really interested in, like, I just wanted to live in those places. Like, I felt really connected to them. I felt connected to the literature of the American West. And so I wanted to go to CU specifically because they have a journalism program that focuses on environmental studies. And they also have the Center for the American West, which is kind of like a nexus of, like, both, like, literature, writing, and thinking around the American West, which I was really interested in working with as well. So, you know, running... Did this start happening as an undergrad for you? Yeah, I was, uh, I started jogging regularly. (laughs) Um, Just as like, so for a, it actually started as for a while in high school, I studied abroad in Italy and I just was like bored and lived near the mountains in like the Northern part of Italy outside of Milan. And I would just, now I know it to be trail running, but back then I would put on like, crappy gym shoes and just go run in the woods and so like I started running and I kind of kept that habit up when I went to college and like started I actually I ran a couple 50k I I ran one 50k while I was in college and I ended up winning outright and it was like my third race ever like I had never even done an ultra and I just won and I was like wow cool like wait a second wait a second no pause (laughs) you go from getting cut from the high school was your high school cross-country team, like, the best in the country or something? I mean, we were quite competitive. I don't think we were the best in the country, but, I mean, like, okay, I but, wasn't... But it was I, good. Yeah, it was good, yeah. I'm not hearing any part of the story where you're, like, you go home and you consider yourself a super failure because you couldn't make the cross-country team, but then you end up, you know, running, and was that because you just were a kid who wanted to be outside, or was this, like, you know, I'm just trying to stay in some sort of shape. I was like, I'm trying to stay in some sort of shape. And I just ran like five times a week consistently for years and years and years, thinking that I was terrible at running. So I didn't push super hard. Now looking back, I'm like, wow, you were just stealthily developing a baller aerobic base. You know, (laughs) like I I had like, I didn't have a GPS watch. I had like a like terrible Casio, like, dollar store watch like I would just be like up 45 minutes a day you know and I would go run or like I would do an hour you know and like I did do like I did do long runs to prepare for this ultra I think the longest I went was 16 miles though and I was like oh it's you know if I can run 16 presumably I can run 32 should be fine like let's find out and I was just really good at running not too fast I Uh think and I was like not because I didn't take it very seriously I think I avoided some of the like pitfalls that a lot of athletes like high school college athletes fall into where they get burned out or injured I was just like really stoking a sustainable passion for running and like I wasn't a super competitive person back then 
I, you know, I like worked part-time at a running store for a little while and that like gave me free race. And the only reason I did races was because I got free entry and like I had to show up to a certain amount of events to like keep my job at the running store. And I was like, well, I might as well, you know, I'm not going to run on, I'm not going to road race. Like, you know, I'm not going to show up and run a marathon and like log a bunch of 10 minute miles. Like that would be, that would take so long. I guess I'll just, you know, if I'm going to be out there, I might as well be on the trail. Um, And so I, like out of nowhere, signed up for a 50K, ran it, and won it. So the thinking was, well, if I do the longer trail run, you're sort of allowed to run slower miles. So I'm going to go that way. Or I was like, no matter what surface or distance I'm on, I'm going to run like 10 to 11 minute miles. Like that's just what's going to happen. So I might as well do it in like the privacy of the woods where it's like less humiliating, I think was my, (laughs) like my impulse, you know, like if you go run a marathon, there's people watching, but like in Arkansas, if you go run an ultra, like no one's there, there's no, you know, it's like the middle of nowhere. And there's not like, there is a really great road running culture. I mean, there's great running culture everywhere in Arkansas, but like ultras don't draw the same crowds that marathons do. And I was like, well, I'm going to do whatever, will attract the least attention at the finish line. Like it's not going to be pretty no matter what I do. I'm going to go, you know, I was just like trying to save myself humiliation. <laughs> Cause I was just like, I'm not an athlete. Like I remember buying a vest, like a hydration vest just for the race and being like, I don't even know how to use this. I've never practiced eating during a race before. Like I hope that Oreos work for me. And they, you know, I think they do like I Oreos are a great nutrition option, but like, you know, it was a super fun race. I ate Oreos and did like a shot of fireball at the last aid station. It was awesome. And one. And one. <laughs> okay. It's one of the fun parts of having all of these conversations is I'm always trying to like actually figure out, you know, if people are just being modest or something. And this seems to be, I would say in my experience, something that's maybe more uniquely true of runners Then if we're talking to certain skiers or snowboarders or something. And so like my job in these conversations is to always try to be like, are you just bullshitting us right now doing this? Like, you know, I didn't really know. And so then I just, you know, took shots of fireball and Oreos and then I somehow won. Or if you're like, no, I kind of knew I was actually pretty good at this and kind of went in being like, I'm going to win this thing. I definitely didn't expect I my honest to goodness goal was to finish and not injure myself going into this race. But it was like that moment when I crossed the finish line after having done a shot of fireball and like only eaten like two goos and a bunch of Oreos for like a full day that I was like, I kind of felt this thing that I think anyone who's really tried to pursue something at a high level feels. And if they tell you they've never felt it, then they're probably lying, which was when I was like, I think I could be really awesome at this. Like if I can do this, with the amount of preparation and like talent, talent in quotation marks that I have, then like, if I train, like I can expect things for myself. And it kind of turned a light bulb on in my brain where I was like, I should start expecting things for myself. Cause I don't want to be that person that shows up and is just like, Oh cool. I happen to be good at things. Like that's so fun. Cause I don't think that that's a fun way to live life. Like I want to intentionally figure out and cultivate the things that I'm good at. So like, you know, the first time, yeah, like beginner's luck, totally like won an ultra completely on accident. But like everything that I've done after that has been because like, I felt like it, 
I kind of like was able to lock eyes with my own potential athletically for the very first time. Like something that, you know, my coaches in high school had like never seen in me. Like I was a second string volleyball player cut hmm. from the cross country team. Yeah. You know, like adults, people I trusted told me I was not good at something. And at that age, you believe it, right? So like I was walk I was carrying around this story where I was like, I am not a runner. So I guess I'll go eat Oreos and do fireball in the woods, you know? And like, that was the moment where I was like, okay, I can do this thing. As long as I make the sport, the thing that I want it to be. And I'm not, you know, trying to like fit my potential and talent to what other people say it is, then yeah, I can be like a competitive and maybe even elite ultra runner. Did you start having these thoughts like halfway through the race, three quarters of the way through the race or after crossing the finish line? Do you remember? A little bit before the finish line, there was a guy that was running the course backwards. Like, I had no idea what position I was in. I was just running. Okay. You know, I, and, like, it was spread out enough. I didn't know if there was anyone in front of me. Like, I just had no Got clue. It. And yeah, I was yeah. just running my own race. And a guy that I knew was running the course backwards. And he was like, nice work, Zoe. You're in first. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I need to do something about it, you know, like, and it kind of, like, switched the, you know, kind of switched my mindset. And I was like, I'm not out here to just, like la di da enjoy the day anymore i'm gonna win and i'm gonna try to do it on purpose you know but like that wasn't my you know i went in with zero strategy i just yeah and then i think knowing that i was in a competitive position made me expect a little bit more of myself yeah how old are you when you crossed that line i think i would have been 22 okay 22 yeah so that really was the moment. I mean, it kind of was like your your life yeah. got a bit different after that, just in terms of you know you're a your kid and you're thinking yeah. about I, I I you've already identified I'd like to be a writer. You have developed a passion for eco poetics, yeah. <laughs> and then you're like maybe I'm good at kind of some longer distance running, and we yeah. might need to pursue that and explore that. Yeah. And I think, you know, what was cool about that is that happened, that race was literally like a week after I graduated college and then I moved to Boulder. So like I had this little confidence boost, immediately moved to Boulder, showed up to one group run and was like, oh my God, these people are insane. (laughs) Cause like I show up and I'm like, no big deal. Just run an ultra in Arkansas. Right. Like. Maybe I'm famous now. I don't right. know Probably how famous. things work. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the first run I ever go to in Boulder, you know, Kat Bradley and Claire Gallagher are both there. So like, you know, just a, another Tuesday in Boulder, which is amazing. But like, it made me be like, there are people that really expect stuff of themselves. And that is freaking awesome. Like, I want to be around that way more. Like, that is the approach I want to take. And that's a very scary approach to take because it opens your like, because that's very vulnerable. You know, like previously, if I had like shown up to that ultra and like been like, oh, whatever happens, happens. And if I came in dead last, great. If I won, great. But like saying you want to do well and then trying to do well is the scariest thing you can do. Yeah. Because you might not do well. How old are you now? I'm 27. 27. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you get to see you Boulder and you're doing a master's degree there and you're continuing to kind of explore this running world. You also start doing a bit of climbing. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Or ha- that started in yeah. when you got to Boulder, not you weren't doing any of that in Arkansas. Um I was I was climbing actually a little. I actually was on the the climbing team in Arkansas. It was a pretty bad team and they like basically just needed women. Like the first time I came in third at a Boulder comp where there were three women competing um on the podium. Still counts. Still counts. Uh, so like I was, you know, I bouldered and I sport climbed and then I moved to Boulder and literally at graduate school orientation 
I just ended up talking to a couple guys and we were like, orientation is lame. Let's go climbing instead. And those guys ended up becoming my lifelong friends and climbing partners. Hmm. And we just spent so much of like climbing was just like how we hung out in grad school. Like other people went to Pearl street. We went to the climbing gym or like to Boulder Canyon or Eldo and we, we climbed. It was, it was awesome. Like, and I was always like the worst in the group because I could never fall out of love with running enough to like really become good at climbing. But like we, you know, spent most weekends cragging, camping and cragging somewhere, going to the desert. We would drive to Las Vegas to go climbing, which was awesome. And it was like, it, it was, you know, being in Boulder and climbing is just the best. It's like what you have to do. This is all leading to up to a question I want to ask you about sort of climbers versus runners. But before we get there, I mean, at this point, with respect to your running, are you now like, oh, crap, I should start reading books and stuff or go find a coach or like, how does this change for you in terms of like, I'm going to take this seriously. What does that mean? What did that look like for you? Yeah. Wow. I really wish that it had prompted those thoughts because for me, it was like, I'm going to take this just seriously enough to like run a little too hard, a little too often and like be constantly flirting with burnout. (laughs) Um, Like I ran a couple more ultras and a 50 mile. I did my first 50 miler while in grad school, but I was really focused on school. Um, And like, I always like, I love training. I just, you know, competition fell by the wayside while I was in grad school because it's like hard to afford. You know, I was like, you know, getting a master's degree in journalism and pretty aware of like, you know, that I wasn't exactly destined for like making mucho bank after I graduated. (laughs) But I trained a lot. I just was never, I kind of like fell back in that thing of like, I think, you know, it's also being in Boulder. I was like, wow, I thought I was amazing. And it turns out I'm sub amazing. And, (laughs) you know, I think I'm just going to really enjoy training. Um, But I did a 50 miler and I came in like seventh place and that was cool. Cause I honestly could have been better prepared for that. Just like in turn, I just never trained very well. I, I like never did any speed work. I would just like be like, Oh, I love Moab. I'll go run 50 miles in Moab. Huh. I guess I need to do a long run. And then I ran like, I had a friend drop me off like near lions, which is like outside of Boulder. And I was like, I'll just find a way back to Boulder. Don't worry about it. And it ended up being like 33 miles. <laughs> Cause I was like going to try to do the whole thing without touching pavement. And then I just remember being like 10 miles outside of Boulder and I was like, Oh my God, I'm so screwed. I'm going to, I'm going to hit the road. <laughs> Is that what you did? You, you went to the pavement for those last 10 miles? Partially. So there's this, I remember being like around people in Boulder will know like stagecoach road. So I used stagecoach road to help connect to another trail system. And I ended up at, I lived near Chautauqua at the time and I ended up finishing on the Chautauqua trails and like I, I got home and like, they were f- like fixing the water heater in my house. And I was like, well, I can't like even use the bathroom. So I just like schlepped to Southern sun brewery and like drank three beers by myself outside, just like waiting for my house to be like able to reenter. But yeah, I would just like do big adventure runs like very slowly um, with a lot of power hiking. And I just like really fell in love with like long distance running. Now we get to my question. Climbers versus runners. I often think, and I'm curious if you agree, disagree, you know, whatever, but I often think that climbing and long distance running tends to attract just particularly cerebral types. Not to say every climber and every long distance runner is 
you know, we would describe as sort of cerebral. But I think that that's more of a true generalization than if, like if you look at the broad skiing public or snowboarding public, you know, whatever. If you're with me so far in these vast yeah, yeah. generalizations, which category of athlete do you think actually gets the title of most cerebral? The climbers or the runners? I'm actually going to have to give this one to climbers. And I say yeah. this because I feel like a lot more of my favorite writing comes from climbers. I also like, so like Trail Runner magazine is owned by the same company as Rock and Ice magazine. Yeah. So a lot of my colleagues are also these like very cerebral climbers. I think of myself as a very cerebral runner, but I do think maybe like our sport is just newer or a bit more niche and we haven't quite like attracted the same level of like you know the John Krakowers or like you know I think Alpinist Magazine which is like this wonderful just like literary like New Yorker of like climbing magazines like we don't quite have that for running yet like Trail Runner certainly isn't that I think Like the Wind Magazine does a really great job but we're just still I think we're still fostering that like intellectual culture within our sport and that's something that like I want to be in charge of and I want to help grow. So if you're a super smart runner, get in touch. Like, I think that there's a lot of really cool intellectual work being done on the climbing side of things. And like, I think you see this a lot in like the climbing communities movement, both on like climate action, access protection. Um, I mean, you know, I think that's, that's just kind of the basis on which I'm making this, uh, potentially very incorrect assumption is that like, I feel like a lot of the, um, the thinkiest, people like the people who's writing I'm reading and enjoying a lot lately do come from the more climby side of things there's some really notable exceptions to that of course there's a lot of really uh, amazing writers who run but they're not writing about running as much as I would like them to like Joyce Carol Oates is a huge runner and she never writes about it girl what are you doing yeah I would love to read a Joyce Carol Oates essay on running but you know I think I think climbers who write I think maybe maybe it attracts like a more obsessive cerebral type person. I don't know what it is, but I I, I do understand like what you're talking about because I do like man. I miss so much back when campfires and being around other people was a thing in the year of our Lord, like 2019. Yeah, like the the discussions I would have with my climbing friends around the campfire were just amazing. And like, I think they are parallel to some of the discussions I've had out on runs, but I think generally like the culture of climbing right now, like the mainstream of that does seem to trend a bit more cerebral than the mainstream of running, which to me is very not that at the moment. Like I'm really trying to push things more in the direction of like, let's make weird, kooky, creative stuff about running. Cause I think a lot of that stuff exists about climbing, but we're just not there yet on the bipedal side of things. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, our very last off the couch conversation was with Peter Bromka. And this was exactly the point. His real passion right now is about like, he he's kind of like, I don't want to tell, like, I don't want runners telling stories about kind of peripheral stuff to runners. He's like, I want more writing about the running, about the experience of the running. And uh, I just thought that was a very... Interesting take. And you're saying something I think very similar right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Peter's actually a guy I look up to so, so much. And I love reading his writing. And we, we've we traded creative things before and like given each other feedback on pieces. And he's someone I look up to for that reason is like he's doing high end intellectual work in the running space. And I think we just need more of that. Like I would love to see, see more of that. I mean, it is something about climbing, right? Like bouldering, we literally call them problems. 
This is literally problem solving explicitly in a way that we don't, other sports don't talk about it that way. And while certainly, you know, a number of long distance runners do say things like, yeah, you get into a long race and it's just problem solving sort of the whole time. Still, though, it's different than yeah. than bouldering or even trad climbing or sport climbing where literally every movement is like, how do I how do I solve this next move? So I, I think in fairness to the running community, you know, maybe there is something just that just inherently attracts analytical types to the climbing space. That said, I also really like your suggestion that you know long distance running or and and especially long distance trail running is just maybe a newer thing and we're going to kind of we need to put those sort of intellectual underpinnings under the sport the culture the activity yeah i guess like my just last thought because i think this is a really interesting question like i think about kind of the tradition of like the gentleman mountaineer in climbing right like yeah. i'm thinking like you know the new yorker cartoon guy with his monocle out climbing yeah um but like wh auden was a mountaineer um you know like a lot and i think that it has like over time like mountaineering specifically so like alpinism trad climbing have attracted kind of a different type of person but i also wonder if maybe running suffers from just being a little bit too mainstream like climbing is like only kind of now becoming this thing that like you're going to read about in the new york times and it's not weird and we're not all freaking out about it and i almost wonder like just because running is like so much more mainstream it almost like dilutes our intellectual culture it like dilutes our creative culture in the way that like climbers have been fringe for so long like they're weird they're hanging out like you know and Tuolumne Meadows, like talking, writing by themselves. Like, and if like having that, like fostering, intentionally fostering that fringe culture leads to more interesting creative ideas just because it's like maybe not as integrated with other kind of like creative aspects of the creative mainstream. That would be my other hypothesis that I have no way of testing and is most likely wrong. But I just, I think, yeah, maybe like we almost suffer, like running almost suffers from being like like anyone can go like you, I mean, sure, almost anyone can go climb now, but like definitely anyone can like almost anyone can put on a pair of shoes and go out and run. So like it's maybe diluted in some way. <laughs> One of the things though is we actually are seeing like a blending, right, of climbing and running. I mean, the yes. word we can use is scrambling, something you know a bit about, but right, yeah. I mean, like the, <laughs> the fact that Tommy Caldwell, arguably the greatest climber of all time, is getting into long distance running, right? He and Alex Honnold, you know, were doing like doing linkups through Rocky Mountain National Park. We've got the whirl, right? In yeah. Utah becoming more of an, a thing that's attracting trail runners where it's like we're seeing an interesting blurring maybe of these sports. Not that everybody's going to go get into this, but maybe that will help <laughs> bleed the the climbing, the roots of the climbing culture into the long distance runner. Now we're just really just off and speculating, but... Oh, absolutely. I love it though. Because okay. I mean, this is the part of the sport that like makes me excited and like makes my heart beat faster to think about. Like, you know, once again, living in Boulder, I would just go on casual jogs with people and they'd be like, do you want to just do the second? Like, let's just scramble the second flat iron, you uh -huh. know? And that's like not possible that many places on earth that you can go on like a chill neighborhood jog and then also free solo, like some 5DZ climbing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it just like feels like a really perfect blend of like, well, I got these two hands, I guess, you know, like might as well put them to use during this run. Why not? And so, or like some of the mountaineering I would be doing when I lived in Boulder, I'd be like, this is dope. I would love to do it faster. Or 
were like, you know, do we really need ropes for this section? Like, you know, if we simuled it, like maybe it would go ropeless and kind of like starting to feel out what my comfort level on things was. And I just really started to fall, like I personally started to fall in love with scrambling and I love seeing other people get into it because I feel like A, it's really stupid and a hilarious sport and everyone should do it. But it is this just really cool kind of pure way of being in the mountains. Like you're not weighed down by gear. You're not weighed down by the expectations of running. So to me, it almost feels like the purest form of movement, even though it's like sure as heck not pretty. I love it. It's like scary and weird and like almost no one looks cute doing it, I think. And I think it's awesome. Almost no one. Who are your exceptions? Who looks cute doing it? You can't say almost (laughs) and then not have an answer. So now I want to (laughs) know. One time I saw a guy pass me on the second flat iron on the freeway route and he was carrying a box of pizza while scrambling so like you know one that's hand. not true this if was a hallucinate. i don't know his name no 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 if you're listening you should reach out <laughs> this was like three years ago three if years you ago climbed yeah if you climbed past a girl with bangs on the second flat iron carrying a pizza you know who you are but i don't that's fantastic so we we've yeah. learned this is the way to your heart exactly yeah okay <laughs> this is a very specific thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, My um, I do have a partner now, and he's a professional ski mountaineer. And like the second time I ever met him, he had just done like a thirty-mile, really dumb, like pioneering some crazy route above Aspen. And I ran into him at a burrito place in Aspen, and he was he had ordered the largest burrito on the menu, and then fell asleep like at the table. And I was like, "This that's guy. your guy." I get to know more about him. Okay, this is going on. This is getting real weird, but fascinating. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. And so ordering the largest burrito and falling asleep in front of it, that's what attracted you to your current partner. But should Pizza Guy Scrambler be listening to this conversation, he's actually got a shot with you. Oh, for sure. Always. (laughs) Okay. I'm just saying if you can climb if you can pass me on the freeway holding a pizza like there's always room in my heart for you this is fantastic and this ladies and gentlemen is the episode of off the couch when off the couch became a missed connections dating like the weirdest part of boulder craigslist yeah yeah exactly okay perfect I want to ask you about keeping on the theme of scrambling though not necessarily climbing with pizza boxes tell me a little bit about your FKT. Mm-hmm. So this summer I set the FKT on Capitol Peak, which is widely recognized as the most difficult doable 14er. Like you don't have to, I mean, you can rope up for it. I don't think you should. People do. Um, so you would not date and, the guy who's roping up to climb Capitol Peak. That would be kind of a turn off. Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. And when I did the FKT, we passed some guys that were roped up and I was like, uh-uh. Yeah. No. Like, got it. Too much, man. Too much. You, you don't need to bring your like you don't need to bring a half rack up a 14er unless you just really want to take the gear for a walk but um yeah i did the i set the female fkt on capitol peak this summer which i was really excited about because it's this perfect blend of like very like straightforward trail running and then st- somewhat straightforward scrambling it's like the way I was conceiving of it was almost like a biathlon because it was like I was going to run a 10K as hard as I could and then I was going to scramble for like three miles as safely as I could and then like try to, you know, negative split it on the way back. And, you know, I just wanted to like, my goal on the technical section was to control my heart rate as much as possible and just move safely and efficiently through the 
more challenging parts and like not knock rocks onto other people who were on the route that day because I was like not the only person. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really cool blend of running and scrambling, which is like, once again, like I'm not the best climber and I'm also not the best runner, but I'm pretty okay at moving through messed up terrain hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Which is so cool, right? I mean, like, again, that like under this rubric of running, we are kind of expanding and seeing it morph about what kind of counts. And uh, I, I don't know. I just think that's really fun. And it's, yeah. a, it's a cool evolution of, of this, I don't know, activity, we'll call it. Yeah, exactly. And like living in Colorado, I love like I'm a 14 or apologist. I know some of them are kind of like glorified porta potties at this point, which makes me sad. But Capitol Peak is an awesome peak. And it's the closest one to my like from my front door to the trailhead. It's the closest one to my house, which is awesome. So it was just convenient. It was there. And I yeah, I think that like just being able to try to run above 14,000 feet is so fun and like move quickly through weird terrain and like I love being on ridges and it's fun to get your hands involved and the knife's edge is super cool and a really great feature and you know I think it um you know I think out of all the 14ers that's the one that like has always appealed to me the most if I was like gonna go try to set an FKT or just like have a fun hike with friends so setting an FKT on Capitol Peak how did that compare to winning your first 30k in terms of, you know, you had a pretty big realization off of this first race. Now, you've then been running for a number of years. And, you know, one could assume that, well, just because you had the fastest time doesn't necessarily mean that corresponded with some other epiphany or realization, but maybe it did. Talk about those two events juxtaposed. Yeah, so I had actually run Capitol Peak like two, three years ago, two years ago, and saw that I got like one of the faster times on Strava. And I was like, dope, wasn't even trying. So cool. Like top 10, love it. Maybe I could do it faster. You know, fast forward a few years, like I was really falling in love with mountain running. Like my favorite thing to do in the summer is to just run up and around mountains. Like I just freaking love it. Never get tired of it. I ran up Mount Elbert like four times this summer. It's just so fun. (laughs) I just love it. And, you know, you should always pick goals that allow you to have fun while training. And so, you know, I actually got kind of injured this summer and had to take some time away. But as I was coming in, like, I was really, you know, I had wanted to do this FKT and then kind of put it on the back burner. But eventually, like, I was doing kind of more mountain-oriented workouts where I was like, I really think I could, like, break a record. Don't know which one, but I feel pretty good. Like I should go find a record that looks breakable and Capitol peak being in my backyard and something I had done before and had kind of had this like inkling of like, I like this peak. It's really interesting. Um, it has like a cool, like, you know, Anton had set the male FKT like forever years ago. And then it got broken this summer by a guy from my hometown in Carbondale. And I was kind of like, it kind of re put it on my radar. I was like, yeah, I think I really want to go after that, like in a big way. It was kind of a weird thing for me because I'm still like not the most confident person ever in my athletic pursuits. You know, I think it's just part of the like getting cut from the high school team, like still haunts me. I'm like, how can I actually be good? Like I've literally just had so many people tell me to my face that I'm not that great. Like what place do I have to try to break records on like famous Colorado mountains? But Capital just always resonated with me in a way where I was like, I really think I can make something cool happen up there. Like, I just love it. I know it. Even if it doesn't happen, then I'll still have had an awesome day. 
So are you the type who's always kind of thinking about potential projects or are you the type like I get something done, I go back to just reading poetry, not thinking about <laughs> stuff until maybe some urge arises up? Yeah, I think it's kind of a little bit of both. I wish I was more calculating in the projects I pick, but I think it's just been hard in 2020 because I don't want to travel for stuff. And I've just like every month I'm like, maybe things will be different. Maybe, and, you know, things just haven't been different for a while. Typically, like I pick things like I get obsessed about goals. You know, I've been training for the Leadville like 100. I was supposed to run that last summer. didn't happen. So like kind of every day in the back of my head, I've been like, Leadville, Leadville, Leadville. So like there are some things that are like really long term that I'm like really attached to. And then I'm always kind of trying to find things in the shorter term that speak to me in the same way, um, whether it's an FKT or like another race, like after I did Capital Peak last year, I jumped into the Grand Traverse, which was a super great race that I had always wanted to do because I love running around Crested Butte. And it's just like such a cool event. And like having lived in Aspen and yeah. like, it's just cool. The like link you up. just run over a mountain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so great. It's a very Grand Traverse. And so it's kind of this combo of like, I'll have really long-term projects that I get like kind of fixated on. And sometimes I think that might maybe blinds me in the short term, but I also really love training. Like I just love getting out there every single day and running. Let's talk about DNF. This is a little podcast you've started. Yeah. Talk about when you first got interested in kind of the podcast medium and then maybe when you started having this idea for DNF itself. Yeah, I've just always loved podcasts. Like when I was in high school, I just listened to podcasts. Like, And that was like in the early days. Actually, when I was in middle school, I was the voice of my middle school's like weekly news podcast. <laughs> so Your middle school had a news podcast? My middle school had a news podcast where it would be like, Today we're serving sloppy joes in the lunchroom. The jazz band will have this a concert. This is not at five. true. I feel like you just it keep lying true. to and me. And I can't find it. I've looked online, so I'm like, oh my god, I would love to hear like 13 year old Zoe being a podcaster because that would be amazing. And I have not been able to find it on the internet. I even tried emailing my old vice principal just to see if I could like unearth <laughs> it because surely some like archival footage will come in handy at some point in my life. But alas, no luck. So like I've always been a little into podcasting sometimes against my will I guess like I you know it wasn't like great for my middle school social life that I was like the girl on the podcast <laughs> in like <laughs> 2006 but you know and all through college like I was super you know I was like having parents that were professors grew up on NPR would listen to This American Life and like Prairie Home Companion and was like really obsessed with radio, you know, because I was like that very cool kid that loved poetry and radio. Right. And so in college, I actually started interning at the public radio station in my hometown in Arkansas. And when I moved to Boulder, I started interning on a podcast based out of Montana called Threshold Podcast, which is a long form environmental podcast and became really interested in the idea of like long form sound rich storytelling. And so then I worked at an NPR station in Aspen for a little over a year and developed more like news podcasts for them because my thing was like as the station's token millennial, I was like, the kids love podcasts. Like, let's give them news on a podcast. Um, I'll just do it. It'll be fine. 
<laughs> and that was something I was really excited about was just like, how do I increase people's access to information about their community in a way that makes sense to them so that they don't have to tune into Morning Edition every day, like particularly in Aspen, which is a very service industry focused town. Like a lot of people are at work at 530 in the morning. And if they're not at work, they're get, they're just getting home from work at the bar and they're asleep. So yeah. I wanted people to have access to like what's going on in city council, like what's happening in the environment, like things like that. And so I was really excited about podcasting as a medium to get useful information to people um, in addition to being a really cool storytelling method. And then when I was applying for the job at Trailer Runner, I was like, you know, I'm the thing on earth that I'm most excited about is podcasting and I will only work for you if you let me do a podcast. And they were like, what's it going to be about? And I was like, that's a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> no, shut up. You had you didn't know at that point? I had no idea. <laughs> I was like, just trust me. It's going to be good. I had no idea. <laughs> okay, we'll talk a little bit with what you've come up with. Yeah, I mean, I eventually came up with DNF because I was just like, you know, listening to so many different running podcasts. I was like, man, almost everything that exists is just like two dudes talking about ketogenesis or like something that's like not that interesting to me or people talking about their successes and I was like, the problem with these, like narratively, like putting on my English major hat and investigating why these stories aren't interesting for me is because there's no tension. There's no tension because they're focusing on success. How do I bring narrative tension into the equation? I talk about where things went wrong. How do I make it even more interesting and be able to tell stories that like haven't been heard on every other podcast? Because there's like a finite number of people, I mean, more and more every day coming into the sport. But like, if you're going to hear a podcast with Jim Wamsley, you don't want to listen to one more podcast about like how he trained for UTMB. You want to hear something you've never heard before. Like, how do you get kicked out of the Air Force? Or like, if you want to listen to something with Kat Bradley, you don't want to hear like what her recovery regimen was before Western States. You want to hear about her getting fired. Like those stories are just inherently more interesting. And they're things we haven't heard before. And they're things that culturally are really uncomfortable to talk about. And so I wanted to create a space that explored those ideas, but in a way that was like really fun and approachable. Well, you're doing a nice job. It's a podcast that people should check out. And you're one of the things that's a bit different, I suppose, is you're currently publishing like one episode a month. Yep. <laughs> and it's a it is a bit more of breakneck a breakneck speed. Say breakneck speed. Yeah. Well, you've already said, you know, you're you're good at slow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm like rocking like 200 miler pace for my podcasts. Yeah. But it's funny. I mean, listening to them within the first two minutes of the first episode of yours that I heard, I was like, this is a writer. This is a, it's clearly, this is a writer. And turns out I was right about that. So, you know, <laughs> score one for me, but yeah, it's a cool thing you're doing and uh, people should check that out. I'm going to let you get going, but before I do, I would be just selfishly remiss if I didn't ask you about some of your favorite things that you've been reading or watching or listening to lately? Since it seems like you're a person who's doing some reading and or watching and or listening of some interesting stuff. Yeah, man, listening. I have been, just since it came out this spring, obsessed with Fiona Apple's album, huh. um, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. It's so interesting and amazing. And it's just this totally new perspective on both music and about like, female community that I've just never heard before in like popular music it like she writes songs to the like ex-girlfriends of her like former partners and 
she like uses found like almost all the music was made in her home and she uses a lot of objects that she found around her home to create music with which like to me to have like a very 2020 quarantine album having something like that that really represents interiority and like the time spent at home cultivating and developing things I think it's really you can hearing that in sound like as a huge sound nerd I'm like oh love this found objects so cool um and I've just been really loving that album and it's about like finding your own voice and owning your self-confidence but in ways that sound a lot less like hackneyed than how I just described them (sighs) reading I've been reading um I think a book that's like hit me the hardest this year is I read The Recovering by Leslie Jameson she's one of my favorite writers of all time and it's a story it's partially a memoir about her recovery from alcoholism but it's also a critique of every other recovery memoir that's ever been written and I feel like this is something I've investigated a lot in my podcast because it's just such an interesting idea of like the flawed ways that we talk about recovery and growth as humans and how it's you know she's a writer and there's nothing that writers love more than writing about writing and other writers. So a lot of her writing focuses on like how she used to have unhealthy connections between her creative practice and her alcohol consumption or like her desire to be loved by people and loved by audiences and partners and like how she would take solace in either alcohol or writing or like validation for her work. And she draws in like every, you know, critiquing the ways that almost every other famous like alcoholic writer has been represented in popular culture or in their own writing, like talking, you know, like about a close reading of Infinite Jest as a recovery book hmm. or like how to understand Hemingway or like Jean Reese, who's one of my other favorite writers, because there's just like not as many famous female alcoholics. And like, why is that? Or why do we talk about them in ways that are different? And I think that this book has just like totally blown my brain into bits in the ways that I like understand understand and consume other people's stories about themselves. Leslie Jameson, and the title of the book is Recovering. You watching anything or are you reading more than watching? <laughs> I do love reading. Actually, so... You um, still love I've reading? I've been a huge fan. I do. Oh my gosh, all the time. Like, I have to like, I have so, I need to not buy any more books. I have so many books and like, it gives me so much hope for the future that I have so many unread books. I started watching Game of Thrones while in, while kind of in quarantine because <laughs> I had never seen, like I just skipped that part of like, you know, those, like that TV series came out when I was very much in my like, whatever, I just read kind of phase. Right, right. Like I don't like TV. And then I started watching it. I was like, this is awesome. I love this. I'm all about it. Like I love high fantasy. I'm so sorry, Game of Thrones, that I said mean things about you in the past, but you're amazing. I've really, it's just like so nice to have Like, you know, in the year 2020, like when I was first like, oh my God, there's like 80 hours of something I can consume. Amazing. I want that. (laughs) Like just having like a clear path forward and like the security of knowing like, I don't have to think about what I want to watch and I can just like get to know these characters. Like I love totally falling into a fictional world. I think fictional world building is like something that I look for most in the literature that I read, like, or whether it's like the fictional world of an album, the fictional world of a book or the fictional world of a TV show. I think world building is one of the things that like I'm most attractive to in creative work. And I think that the TV show does an excellent job and I haven't read the books and it feels really liberating to not like have my brain do that really annoying thing where it's like, actually that book was, you know, cause like it would go there and I feel super free to just enjoy the TV show, which I think is objectively great. Although I wish that the female characters had more agency. One critique. Sorry. Had to. I might be able to give you a recommendation here. I might not. Absolutely. Are you familiar with Walter Tevis's The Queen's Gambit? And are you aware that this has been turned into an amazing little mini series? 
So I read the book and I've been hesitant to watch the TV show. Everyone's saying it's amazing, which makes me so nervous because I hate to be that asshole that I feel like I inevitably end up being a lot of times where I'm like, the book was better and this TV show you like isn't good because of this. But also it's 2020, so I just like desperately need to enjoy whatever media that I'm like yeah. injecting into my psyche. I really want to enjoy it. Yeah. If you tell me I'll enjoy it, then I'm gonna then I'll do it. But like I love exploring the idea of female genius. Like that to me is just like cat like that that's something that you'd never get to see in books and movies. Like anytime that there's like a marginally likable genius female, I'm so in. And I've argued it it's either the best or second best sports movie of twenty twenty. If if it's Ooh. not the documentary, The Last Dance about Michael Jordan Uh, and the Bulls, it's The Queen's Gambit. So just go in and think, this is an adaptation. This is an adaptation. This is an adaptation. And I think you'll be okay. But um, I I can't stop thinking about it. And I think it's basically perfect, I would argue. Hmm. There's two scenes in like seven hours where I'm like, ah, like literally two scenes that I'm like, there's a question, there's a question mark for me there and I won't, you know, but it is unbelievable. And so I think you'll be all right. I think if you know the book and you just come in and think this is an adaptation, right? It's, you're going to be good. And since, you know, yeah. you, you apparently are running like eight or nine or 10 years behind when it comes on yeah. TV. I just feel like yeah. I should throw that out I'll there for you. I'll call you in like 10 years. I know. I'm like, <laughs> next, I'm going to check out Seinfeld. I've heard good things. <laughs> right. Well, Zoe, this has been fun. Really enjoyed this conversation. And I really like I really like what you're doing with the, the DNF podcast. And I really like that you have put yourself in charge of growing this intellectual running culture. We have you on tape saying that. That's a yeah. bold and good <laughs> Can't thing. Can't wait for the, the emails to pour in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you've you've got, you know, a lot on your plate here. And you gotta go watch the Queen's Gambit. So Yeah, you know. man. As soon as I finish Game of Thrones. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. But thanks. This has been really cool. And it's always fun to talk to people that just have cool things going on and are clearly on a cool and interesting trajectory. So uh, good job there. Yeah, thanks so much. It was so great chatting one one podcaster to another. (laughs) Good luck with all of it. And we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Zoe for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. We will talk to you again next week.